The scriptures tell us with great clarity that all human beings have been made by God, in the image of God, and for a relationship with God. But the reality of life in our post-fall world has left everything broken, including all human beings. This brokenness touches us all deeply, but in a variety of different ways. This includes the many types of physical and cognitive disabilities in our world. This means that our churches and youth groups must be places sensitive to the unique needs of those among us who are disabled. How can we best minister to the disabled from birth through old age? How can we create welcoming safe spaces that foster spiritual growth and development among the disabled? Stay with us as we learn about ministry to and with the disabled as we converse with Ashley Belknap from a ministry called Engaging Disability with the Gospel on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Well, we're grateful that everyone's joining us again on Youth Culture Matters. We have a growing audience, and we're so thankful for that. I got a great little word today on Facebook, Jason, from one of my friends, Jordan Langness. I don't know if you know Jordan or not, but Jordan has been using a lot of our resources, and he says, CPYU helps me to stay up to date on what my students and growing children are being exposed to from a viewpoint outside of my day-to-day grind. I like how he describes youth ministry, the day-to-day grind. That's awesome. He says, great resources for parents and youth leaders alike, so thanks for that. And uh, we love positive feedback because now we know that what we're doing is is working and worthwhile. So uh, t- take take note of our resources and use them. Jason, what's happening yes. in upper left corner, in the upper left? Anything upper happening Upper left there? USA. You yeah. know, we're, we're getting some snow. We don't have the polar vortex that you – uh, got to experience, enjoy, but uh, we're getting some snow, yeah. and uh, yeah, that always we, makes for some some exciting opportunities up on the mountain. No polar vortex game. here today. It's beautiful outside. That's if I great. wasn't talking to these people, I would be out there. It's beautiful. So, hey, we're going to have a conversation today that really needs to be had, and it's mm-hmm. about a a group of, and I will use the word image bearers because I think we need to understand that all of our children, all of our teens, all human beings have dignity and value and deep, great worth because they've been made by God. They bear the image of God. And it's a group that many times we, I don't know if it's deliberate, sometimes maybe we devalue people in certain areas of our culture, but sometimes we just forget about in our world of youth ministry or in our churches and that's folks who uh, have disabilities. So, so we're going to talk about uh, disabilities today, uh, young people with disabilities, teenagers with disabilities, and how we can engage with those students. And we're going to talk to Ashley Belknap, who runs a ministry called Engaging Disability, and it's associated with the particular denomination that my church is a part of, the Presbyterian Church in America, although I think Ashley your reach extends way, by, way beyond that just because of how 
I don't want to say novel, but unique the ministry is and how you're resourcing other folks. So Ashley, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be on today. Tell us just a little bit about the history of the organization and your involvement with it, why you're involved, and what the mission of the, of the Engaging Disability organization is. Yeah, so Engaging Disability with the Gospel began in 2007, and it was under a different name. It was Missions in North America Special Needs Ministries, and we are the denominational disability ministry for the Presbyterian Church in America, or the PCA. And it was started under uh, our founding director, Stephanie Hubach, who has written um, a really great book about um, enfolding folks with disabilities into the life of the church called um, Same Lake, Different Boat. Um, gives you a really great theological look at how all of us have experienced brokenness as part of the fall. So it's not just that we're doing ministry to people out there who have disabilities, but it really begins to change the tide when we see ourselves as having brokenness as a result of what happened in Genesis 3. And so um, her, the ministry really began out of a need for churches need to understand why people with disabilities are needed and valued in the church. And at that time, back in 2007, it wasn't a conversation that was being had. Families who were in the churches were there largely because um, churches were doing what they could, but they didn't have a lot of resources. The conversations weren't being had. There wasn't as much awareness even, you know, 13 years ago as there is now with social media helping us out on, in some ways. Um, so I took over 10 years after that, um, about three years ago as the director. And Steph had always had a vision for changing the name of this ministry to reflect what it what the heart of it really is. And so sometimes in special needs, the terminology special needs will kind of constrict us to a, a certain population or age group. It, you tend to hear special needs with kids and youth, not so much with your adult population. And this ministry goes from birth through elderly. Um, I think a lot of the challenges we have in church and youth group is just that our definitions of who our people are who have disabilities is not quite broad enough. So you know, we, we serve all disability types, and that can include things that you typically think of, like physical and intellectual disabilities, neurological disabilities, but it also includes things like psychiatric, mental health concerns, um, learning disabilities, sensory needs or disabilities, um, even into behavioral challenges. And I think that'll probably get a lot of our attention at some point in the conversation today is kids who socially or academically can't quite fit into that box that maybe church requires. And so what that manifests as is, you know, behaviors that communicate things to us and often not what is socially appropriate maybe for church. And that makes it really challenging for parents. So our ministry really does go from nursery birth through elderly because with disabilities, you don't overcome them. They're not something that you just get to the other side of like um, when you're sick. So we're in a completely different category of how do we do this across the lifespan? How do we not just have our families who are impacted by disability in church and present in church, but I want to see them enfolded into the heart of the church. I want to see our kids, our youth, our young adults, our adults, I want to see them growing in Christ. And I want to see the congregations really effectively knowing them and loving them and not just, you know, a certain handful of people who maybe have that vision and heart. Um, and I think some of that just comes from not 
quite being comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, we're, we always do a better job with people who are like us. And um, so historically across churches and across denominations, what we see is that children's ministry does the best job of enfolding kids with disabilities. That's really where kids come into the church. And you think about how kids interact with one another, that's through free play and side-by-side interactions. And, you know, there's still lots of visuals to support our learning and the discipleship sense. Lessons are automatically broken down. But that first big hurdle that we get to is when we get from youth and from children into youth ministry. And then if we make that transition successful, the hardest leap is probably from youth ministry into the adult ministries of the church, where we really see um, some of those supports going away. And you're really relying on a lot of social skill navigation. You're relying on hour long or longer types of Bible study settings and um, discipleship just isn't accommodated and broken down in the same way. So as our, our folks age, we tend to see they either fall off and stop coming altogether when things get challenging, um, when it's just easier to stay home that, you know, it's just, it's a hard mental battle of why am I here when I'm not growing and I'm not being known. It's just much easier to stay home. Um, or they move to the fringe, and that would be where a small pocket of people know them, and they're there, and they're faithful, but maybe they're not growing. Maybe they're not known as well as they could be. So that's really the heart of this ministry is that w- the reason we changed it to engaging disability with the gospel is because we wanted to step into and step towards and enfold and love like Jesus did in the gospels. And those were very intentional steps towards people that were not like him and were not like us. And um, in that, I have also found myself as a mom of three boys who each have special needs. And so um, I not only wear a director hat, but I wear the mom hat, which is I want my kids in our church when when I'm gone, when I'm not here anymore. And the, the way that's going to happen is through... Um, our congregations knowing and unfolding at a level above just being present and just being there. So that's kind of how the ministry has evolved. Now, what a lot of what we do in our ministry now is through online trainings, and um, we offer a lot of them for youth. You'll, I'm sure, be able to see in the notes, there'll be a link for how to access that. Um, but we're constantly working with different populations across church ministries with the goal being that you don't have to change what you're doing in ministry in the sense that we start where you are. We don't ask you to start a separate silo of programs. We look at your people, your culture, your youth group activities, your large group, your small group, your one-on-ones, the things that are already happening. And we start thinking about how do we take your particular needs with your kids or your youth who have um, varying abilities and how do we make small steps over time that will better unfold and work towards better discipleship of the whole. Oh, that's good. Uh, just a quick question on theology. I don't know if there are any quick questions about theology, but we'll make this a quick question. Yeah. Give us a little flyover of some of the, the theological realities, the gospel principles that inform what you're doing and should inform what we're doing. So the major ones that we look at, I would, I can boil this down into three major points. Point number one would be that our starting place is Genesis 3 in the fall. That's where we see disability coming into play before that Adam and Eve are perfect. After they take of that forbidden fruit, our 
physically, mentally, intellectually, cognitively, socially, all those faculties are affected by the fall. And so that goes back to what I was saying earlier, that we're all in this together. You and I may be able to cover up our brokenness more in a more sophisticated way, but this is not a conversation about they have needs and I don't. It's how our brokenness is then impacted and redeemed at the cross when Christ dies. And then it's that living. So now here we are on the other side of Jesus' death. And so we have to live here. We're still in the still in the hard and the messy of church life. We're still in the place where we don't love perfectly, where we don't do things perfectly, but yet we're redeemed if we believe in Christ. And so in that comes the church piece. And so we really look at our relationship with God and our relationship with man as the two major tenets that every ministry, regardless of age, can can think through. How is this family? How is this person? How is this youth relating? What does their relationship with God look like? And then what does their relationship with man look like? So we're looking at that vertical and the horizontal as the basis for what everyone across church is navigating. Um, it just happens that our folks need a little bit more booing in the process to make that relationship with God grow and to make relationship with man even happen, um, much less than thrive. So we're looking at trying to get the seesaw, if you would, kind of in balance. Um, a lot of times maybe they're there and they're known, but they're not growing. Or maybe they're growing, but they're not known. And so we're looking at how do we make those two pieces become more of a balance. Um, across church as they age. And some of those things will be easier when they're younger and some things will be harder when they're younger. And you know, all of that just means that our ministry has to be dynamic and changing and fresh. And it has to have a heart for what we're doing because change is slow. But those are the guiding principles that keep our feet stuck in the already while we're still longing for heaven when uh, I really think we'll, we'll truly understand what it would be like then to have had that perfect picture of disability ministry perfectly enfolded into church. Mm. I, what I really like about what you just said is there's a challenge there for parents and for youth workers, for those who teach, to instill in everyone and to gain a personal sense of the fact that nobody is less than. Uh, right. You know, everybody is on equal footing in terms of our brokenness. It's just that our thing that we have to deal with or our things that we may have to deal with aren't as noticeable as you said and so it totally what you just said there totally reorients the way we look at each other we should be looking at each other um, when we're together in worship or education or just doing life so I I love that and I, I, would also, I am, go yeah Ashley I would also add one other thought too when we get to Paul in first Corinthians and he's talking about the body of Christ and the different parts of the body um, you know, you expect to find in a church as broken as Corinth and as, you know, as many sinners doing as many things as they were involved in. And Paul's constantly calling them back to this is what it looks like to follow Christ. This is the path, not this, not what you're involved in out in the world, but this in the church, follow him. And in that, we sort of expect the passage to build up to those who are the most essential parts of the body, being the ones that contribute the most. I and mean, when you think about who we value in church, um, often it's the ones who are capable and able. And, you know, those are your volunteers who are doing everything and the people who you can call on at any time. And so I think there is a riskiness involved in disability ministry because kids, teens, and adults with disabilities don't bring to the table necessarily the gifts that are valued or 
Um, but back to Paul is when you get to that passage, what he says are the, the ones who are the indispensable parts of the body are the weakest members. And so when you really start thinking about indispensable being like, if you have a flashlight, the indispensable part of the batteries, it won't work right if you don't have the indispensable part. And so what does that mean when we don't have kids, teens, and adults with disabilities in our ministries, it means that our whole church isn't working properly. Now, disability isn't the only way to, to play out weakest members or weaker members, um, because that can be your elderly folks, that can be your babies, that can be people who are walking through really hard places. And But it communicates that the people who are coming to the table that don't necessarily have all the the things that we're looking for in our ministry checklist to contribute um, are actually the ones that are the indispensable parts. Have you found uh, mm -hmm. when you engage a church and they're starting to do uh, a disability ministry that as they're starting to engage in this aspect of ministry within the church that they also begin seeing, because you kind of highlighted upon the elderly, because um, th there are groups within the church that can be marginalized um, and sometimes we're not even aware of it. So I'm just curious, in the midst of uh, you exploring this with churches, do they often then see other spaces where they're missing uh, opportunity? Yes, great question. Um, I don't think it happens initially, but I think the further in you walk into families touched by disability, the more you see the similarities and the parallels to other people groups that are on the fringe. Um, we've said that some of the barriers that we experience for our families with disabilities are the same barriers that we experience if we're um, trying to enfold other races or ethnicities or trying to reach and pull our, our folks who maybe are just experiencing the effects of aging, like you mentioned, can't hear the sermon, can't see their Bibles, um, just have moved to the fringe for ordinary age type reasons. Um, it broadens our understanding of looking and having the hands and feet that reach out and pull back in and, and don't just let them slip to the side and let it go. But we do find that it, if you can learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, as I like to say in this ministry, um, with people who look a lot like you but maybe have some significant differences, you'll be well on your way to being able to step into the the shoes of and love folks who are from different races and different cultures and different backgrounds even more effectively than maybe you were in the beginning. Um, so I do think there's some significant ministry parallels there that help break down barriers for other folks on the fringe. This is good. I love this conversation. We need to take a break, but we're going to come back and welcome a couple of our friends in who are thinking about these things. They've been listening in, and we're going to give them some opportunity to ask some questions as well. So we're talking to Ashley Belknap from Engaging Disability with the Gospel. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Here at CPYU, we want to help you help parents stay up to date on today's youth culture. One of our most popular resources is our monthly parent page. This four-page, full-color resource offers parents a timely, practical look into current youth culture trends, along with resources to help them parent their children and teens Christianly in today's rapidly changing youth culture. If you're a youth worker who would like to get this monthly resource into the hands of your parents, you can see a sample parent page and learn more by visiting cpyuparentpage.com. 
back to Youth Culture Matters, where we're having a conversation with Ashley Belknap, who is working with a ministry, an organization known as Engaging Disability with the Gospel, and we're talking about youth ministry, church ministry, birth to, I guess we would say, old age and death, right, Uh, Right. in terms of disability ministry. And Ashley, before we went into the break, you mentioned at one point that this is part of your story in your family. Are you comfortable telling us a little more about that? Sure, absolutely. Um, We never anticipated, just like most families, that they would be one, that we would have kids who have disabilities. Um, I was working in a large church as a women's ministry director, got a degree in theology, loved the church, um, married a husband who's a deacon. We had grand visions of what life and ministry would look like as a family in the church. And when our first was born, um, he came on the scene nine weeks early and had um, extensive time in the NICU. And from there just was a, a picture of um, compromised immune system issues, spent a whole year inside the house, never had a category for what that would do to church body life. Here I was, you know, couldn't be, we couldn't have been more in the heart of the church. And, and overnight, our little one really took us to the fringe. And that was a real defining moment for me personally and in ministry of, of realizing there's not enough effort that can overcome some of the challenges that families who are impacted by disability face. It's not just a matter of the church doing more, quote unquote. It's not just a matter of the families doing more. Sometimes there are really difficult, long, extended periods in the desert where you really can't do better than what you're doing. And so that first year of his life, we really wrestled with that. You know, why can we not even get across the street to our church, which is really literally across the street? Um, so it highlighted that like 200 foot walk. We couldn't even get that far. And then shortly after he turned a year old, we started noticing um, things going backwards. Feeding issues went backwards. Um, language wasn't developing. Motor skills were were just not quite what they should have been. And Um, Then once he did start walking, we noticed we had an eloper on our hands. And for those of you out there who have elopers, you know what that means. And for those that don't, that's simply a term for children whose tendency is to take off and to bolt. And that's not usually, I mean, yes, that's a part of a toddler tendency at times, but not to the extent that every moment when things don't go well, they're gone, half a mile down the street gone at 18 months. So we we knew very early on we had some significant challenges and got a diagnosis around two for autism. And about that time, I was pregnant with twins. And that was another, like, didn't expect, didn't know what God had had planned. And then they came 10 weeks early. And we've had um, opposite language disorders in both of them that um, otherwise a typically developing picture, but the way that they communicate and the way that they understand, so we're talking receptive language and expressive language, have not kept up with their picture of development. And so that has, again, highlighted, um, you know, they can be in there in Sunday school, but they may or may not be learning and probably not in some ways. So we really, I really had to work even in my own house of kind of getting my head and heart around how much effort is required and how slow sometimes progress is just to even get inside the church Um, with my oldest. And I I share this to encourage those out there who have a hard time being in church and staying in church that, you know, sometimes we would spend more time outside under an oak tree. And that's really where I 
really coined my theology of we're here because this is where God's people meet on Sunday. And if this is as close as I can get today, if this is, this is our starting point, this is where we're going to start. And slowly over time, we've been able to get in and in and further into the church. And, and now we're in through a whole sermon in Sunday school. And now we're working on the piece of growing and being known. But sometimes those starting points are, are really, how do I get in for five minutes and be able to stay in? Um, so our journey is very personal. Um, but I also come at it from that big picture of the whole of life and not just kids ministry. Um, so hopefully that will encourage some out there to keep persisting. Even when you think it's going to take a long time, it, change happens day by day, step by step. Well, this is good. And, and I think one of the things we want to do uh, for the rest of the podcast is pick your brain a little bit on some practical ways to make this work. You know, what does it mean to do disability ministry in, with children in youth group? Um, you know, right on, right on through to the last stage of life. And we've invited a couple of our friends in who are working in different ministry settings who are going to represent everybody else who's listening, you know, to ask questions. There's a lot of, a lot of pressure on you guys. Um, Kelsey Patterson is a friend, and she is working at Mount Hermon Camp, program director, right? Kelsey, is that your title officially, or...? Yeah, it's the director of youth and young adult ministry. So I oversee with a team any of our programs that are geared towards uh, junior high, high school. And then whenever our culture decides what the cutoff date is young adult, um, it'd be up to those ages as well. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's a whole nother podcaster for us, yeah, yeah. So, But, you know, uh, the, one of the reasons why we have Kelsey on is because she's working to provide programming for kids. And there's these, these are issues that camps deal with. We do a lot of work with... Uh, 3CA Christian Camp and Conference Association, and I know there are uh, not just, you know, legal issues they need to deal with, but they want to minister to families and support families, and I've even talked to some camps. I don't know if your camp does this, Kelsey, but they actually have, they work with the Johnny and Friends organization and actually do disability camps, so Kelsey's going to represent campers and, you know, just ask some good questions related to that. Uh, she can extend beyond just camping. And then Derry Prankert's here. Derry's uh, a friend of both Jason and myself. Um, I was thinking about how I can mess up what state you're from again, Derry. Um, but he's in Indiana at the Missionary Church in, in Napanee, correct? Correct. Okay, yes. good. I yeah, got that got right. right. And you've been there 20 years and doing youth yes. ministry. I've had a chance to see Derry in action when I've been out there. They have a thriving ministry, not just to students but very intentional about parents. And I thought Derry would be a good guy to bring on because he's becoming more and more of a trainer of youth workers. He actually has a podcast. Tell us about your podcast. Yeah, I've got a podcast called My Third Decade, and it's really, it's out of that, being at, at the same church for 20-plus years, uh, so speaking to youth ministers on what does it look like to to walk in with a mindset of longevity. Yeah. And, and Walt, I should add, I just shifted my roles this fall. I'm now the next gen pastor. Okay. So I actually oversee from birth through college age. Yeah. Um, here. And um, so Ashley, as you're talking through these transition points, I've been leaning in the whole time. Um, so that's how kind of my, so yeah, I got the podcast world working with youth ministers, but here now working in discipleship strategies from birth through college age. Yeah. So uh, Jason and I, we want to let you. We want to let you guys loose on Ashley a little bit because this is 
Again, this is just such a big area of need, and, and we need to begin to understand this. So do, do either of you have a question you want to kick off with here? or Kelsey? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed, um, especially at camp, camp is known as, you know, it's high energy, it's loud, there's music going all the time, hundreds of students all together, kind of the hype and the energy is what a lot of students come to camp for. But I've noticed over the years that in our dining hall and in our main gathering space, which we call the forum, those specifically, I've started to see more and more every summer students gradually leave and want to participate, but can't be inside those spaces because there's too much uh, sensory processing that's going on while they're in that space and it's crowded. And so I'm trying to figure out what would, for junior high to high school students, some who are still figuring out what, what their needs are, um, for students who have like sensory processing disorders, what would be a best way to help them stay engaged in what's going on in those spaces, but also to have the freedom to step out and not feel any any difference. Um, I guess that's something that I'm just trying to figure out what would be best for those students of still being engaged, but also having the freedom to leave if they need to. That's a great question. And I'll try to hit these answers so that it applies both to camp and to church, because a lot of these are going to be similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so for our kids with sensory processing disorder, and then for those that are, that just can't handle as much in life. And I see this across the boards that our kids and teens have so much coming at them, social media and otherwise, that there are a lot more anxiety disorders. There are a lot more, or just fringe anxiety that pops up that kind of causes these same periphery responses. And I think we need to have our eyes and ears open for the ones with the diagnoses and the ones without, because the ones that don't are often the silent sufferers or or manifest behavior issues that then we try to attack from a behavior standpoint. So my my first strategy, church and camp, would be that there does need to be a an appropriate way to escape or ask for a break. Um, you know, when things are too much and they're just too much, there's only a handful of strategies that are going to work. One is that the whole environment change, which is obviously not going to happen at camp because we love, and there's parts of that dining hall experience, standing on chairs, singing the songs, everybody loves that. Um, but then there's also the part that the brain sometimes just needs a break. So I would think about strategic places adjacent to or nearby that can become safe break places. You know, depending on how many kids we're talking, utilize this or how we request that break um, would determine whether it needs to be having a staff person or a counselor who's out there um, encouraging kids to come back. So my number one here is that what we don't want is for break areas to be the place that everybody goes and it becomes a second hangout, right? And for church, that would be we don't want them to go to break rooms and just stay there and become, you know, that becomes where they live. That's not going to help us unfold them further. Mm-hmm. So when I'm teaching parents about the use of a break room, I'm always saying it really is for a break. It's to catch your breath and then to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean that we recover 100% perfectly. You got to take off doing anything perfectly in this ministry. Um, But it means being able to just catch your breath enough and then re-enter a hard place. Things are hard for all of us. It's never going to be 100% accommodating. But we want the break place to offer the respite that's needed, and then we want to be encouraging them back. So in a camp setting, that might be harder because, Mm -hmm. especially with older kids, if you have some freedom to go to that, they may not want to come back. So that's why I would think through whether you need a staff person Um, keeping an eye or being out there to encourage the proper use of it so that it doesn't just become a hangout spot. 
Um, another way to keep them engaged, if you have kids who, you know, really can't stay there for very long, and this would be church too, I'm, I'm often asked the question, how do we pipe in the lesson or how do we keep what's going on connected and we don't have money to run microphones and or have tv cameras that kind of thing um, very simple solution is to use a baby monitor um, it can it always has volume control they usually go as far as you need them to go and one in a strategically placed area near a speaker or um, within the room can offer some sound control in a separate spot and still keep you involved um, another thing I'll probably throw out a lot in the course of these questions is the concept of reverse inclusion. So let's say you have some kids who really cannot handle, and so they are eating their meals in different places and really feeling isolated. Or you have kids in the youth group who can't handle the game playing or um, who can't handle the, the, the get-to-know-you time in the beginning. It's, just, it's louder and more chaotic. So for those times, I would think about what ways, if we know that that student is going to be in a separate area for the health and the well-being of that child, um, how can we bring in some strategic youth buddies? Maybe they change over the course of weeks, but reverse inclusion is the concept of taking friends to a more secluded spot. So we're still adding in that element of friendship. Um, but we're not doing and we're not allowing, you know, isolation to persist for our youth with a disability. Um, and sometimes those smaller settings can allow real conversations and real relationships to grow that add a lot more value to the whole picture. Um, and that's another another challenge here. And then I'll toss it back to y'all is these big groups are hard for people to know what's going on. And so I think that's your number one challenge is going to be how do we work with so that each of our students who needs the, a break place knows about it. How do we keep the right students using them? How do we bring along parents or how do we bring along the whole of the other students to know what's happening in appropriate ways? Um, and those sometimes with reverse inclusion, you end up doing a lot of educating with your kiddos, with your youth group, um, just in smaller pockets as they interact with students with disabilities. So I'll toss it back to y'all for follow-up from that. Yeah. Let me ask a follow-up that you, you're hitting something as you're talking on the idea of reverse inclusion. I think about, and this probably applies to camps as well as youth group time, game time, rec time. And I've planned a game that if I've got a, maybe a, one of my youth is in a wheelchair that literally they're not going to be able to be a part of it. Where's the line between saying we're ditching that game versus we're going to go ahead, but here's what we're going to do to, to think about this person that won't be able to be a part of it. So I always encourage youth leaders to be thinking about the necessary adaptations to be involved in something or, or even, and we're talking, think about involvement as a spectrum. I can be there and I can, then I can participate a little bit. Or I can participate more. I can participate fully. So we're talking about a spectrum here. You know, if the answer to this game will leave this person entirely off the whole spectrum of being there, or any part of participation, that's usually when I start to say, we really need to rethink this because this is a chance for us to love well and for the students to not just do the things they always love to do. Um, at the same time, it doesn't mean we never do that one thing. Let's say that one game is something that everybody loves and it completely excludes one, one student. Um, I'm not saying ditch it forever, but I am saying that maybe it, it appears less frequently. 
Um, and in place of that is something more strategically that will enfold or pull in some of the students who have disabilities. Now, in the game, the game question is loaded, and this is such a way that youth interact. I, I think watching kids, kids are free play, and then you move into youth, and now we're organizing it. And so, yes, the kids with visible disabilities, it's, it's easy to remember. If someone's in a wheelchair, they can't get up and run a relay race. But what about your kids with invisible disabilities? So this could include any type of cognitive disability or autism or sensory processing language disorders, um, any of those can cause delayed reaction times, whether that is in the motor planning part of the brain where you're planning the words you're going to say in a fast, rapid-fire word game, or whether that is you have to navigate moves, maybe it's you have to move your body in certain ways to do charades, and so you get the card and you have to do it quick and the pressure's on, but it takes you time to plan that out and make it happen. So I encourage you to, to encourage folks to think not just about accommodations for what they can see, but also what they can't see. And and when you see kids backing off the scene of games, there's a reason why they are. Um, in that, what's an alternative is that there could be two things going on in the room at once. There can be a more sedentary, sedentary or stationary type game that doesn't in, that maybe involves strategy, but not fast strategy or timed strategy. Um, there can be, and that could become a, a thing that there's an option in the back for everybody who wants to maybe have a group that loves chess or that loves some some type of game that everybody could participate in given your set of needs that's always available as a backup so that no one's ever having to just sit and do nothing. Um, but I do think this is a, a huge way that youth connect. So it's something that youth leaders really need to think about. That's good. It's yeah, really good. I, I got a, I got a quick question, and that is, well, I don't know if it's quick, but um, it's, this is probably a loaded question as well. But, and I love the way you're answering these, these I, because I'm thinking to myself, man, when I was doing youth ministry when I started 40 years ago, we didn't think about any of this. I mean, there was just no sensitivity to it, no awareness of it, none of it. So. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this going, man, we could have done things so differently. But here's my question. Okay, so, Ashley, do you find that most people come to you for help and advice after they discover that they're in a situation? And so you're saying yes. Yes. So how can we be very proactive in our ministries, mm -hmm. at our camps, and eliminate having to come to you in a reactionary way, like, man, I'm in this situation now, what do I do? Are there ways that we can set our ministries up, right, right coming right, right out of the gate, where we invite these people in? Because I'm thinking, I, I had no sensitivity or knowledge of it at all. And so, in hindsight, I'm going, how many kids do we just eliminate? Mm. You know, I don't want to do that again. If I start over, right. I don't want to do that again. So the great answer to your question is that the things that we do to set up better success for our kids with disabilities in youth ministry or even in children's or young adult ministry will help more than just those kids. And I think that's probably um, the hardest hurdle for me to overcome is that this won't just positively impact a small portion of your people. This will probably help a lot of your youth. Um, for various reasons, and and I know through y'all's podcast, being a listener, that you've touched on how culture and the fast pace and technology really affects all of our kids, and 
So I think you're getting a lot of different learners in your um, youth group now, as opposed to even 20 years ago. So how do you set it up? I think the key is to, to look ahead is, so what does that look like in youth group? That means you got to start looking at your kindergartners through your fourth graders right now. And you got to see who your kids are that are growing up and how or if they're being enfolded. You've got to have a relationship with your children's ministry directors that you're communicating with long before the transition comes so that you can start to think through what am I going to have to shift or change or adapt or modify in order to make this a seamless transition. Um, I always say it takes at least a year to transition um, our folks who really have you know, diagnosed disabilities. A year is not a long time for a transition into youth for it to really work. And so even thinking about hybrids of that, whether we try to transition right at the time of sixth grade or fifth grade um, into youth or whether we're delaying that, um, what would it look like to maybe have some of our youth come into children's ministry to serve so that we get a culture of understanding about disability within our youth? Um, what would it look like to bring our youth in for five or our kids in for five minute exposure to youth group? Um, are you partnering with those parents now? Are we having relationships where we know what the needs are and how they're developing? And just a tidbit, you know, disabilities change every month and especially every year. So, you're checking in more frequently, and it, it sounds like a lot more work, but then there are also things that programmatically can help. And one of the things I always say for lesson content is breaking down content into smaller parts, into smaller pieces, and then building that back up is helpful to anybody, not just your kids with disabilities. So once we get into the youth age group and we're doing more critical thinking or abstract thinking, um, it's really important to say, okay, I want them to get to the place where they're applying these theological principles in their life. What is required to get there? And start listing out what theology you really need to know and understand as precursors to that. And then break those chunks down and then build it back up. So maybe it takes you longer to get to your goal, but I guarantee you in the process, a lot more kids have learned because a lot of these kids just aren't focusing on all the things we're telling them and throwing at them the way we want them to anyway. So simplifying and focusing on um, content that's broken into smaller pieces, but then built back up into the whole is not dumbing down content. Um, I would also really think about the, the service aspect, um, getting our kids and our youth to contribute. And I think this is a way for our kids with disabilities and our youth who don't have disabilities to serve the church in terms of becoming buddies or help within children's, you know, helping children's ministry with younger kids who can't navigate everything by themselves, but would love to have a friend that is with them and stuck with them for a Sunday school hour. Um, thinking about in the youth context, how can we get our youth serving alongside each other? Like that's a natural way that we experience discipleship and growth. And that is often a much easier place to adapt than the lesson or the game. And so how can I get my youth with disabilities and my youth who don't to do things together? 
when that starts happening, real life relationships happening, and what you're going to see is your your youth are going to be cheering on your kids with disabilities. It happens every time. Mm. And your youth with disabilities are going to start changing your youth who don't have disabilities. Just the, the presence of the whole body there, going back to what Paul talked about, it makes it worth it to go for the, the small steps that bring about change. Wow, this is really good. And so, Ashley, we're going to take a quick break. We're here with Be- uh, Ashley Belknap with uh, Engaging Disabilities with the Gospel, and we're just receiving some great information. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and uh, continue and, and end our conversation uh, uh, with Ashley. We'll be right back with you. I want to tell you about one of our best-kept resource secrets here at CPYU. For the last 14 years, we've produced a one-minute daily radio spot called Youth Culture Today that's carried on over 800 radio stations in North America and which can be listened to through our online home at cpyu.org. Recently, we've relaunched, rebooted, and rebranded Youth Culture Today so that it will reach more parents and youth workers with timely and practical tips on how to help kids navigate the challenges and opportunities of living in today's world. We encourage you to visit our homepage at cpyu.org to experience a one-minute daily dose of youth culture that will better prepare you to reach the kids you know and love. Or search for Youth Culture Today on your favorite podcast platform. Youth Culture Today is one more free resource we've created to help and support you as youth workers and parents. Welcome back to Youth Culture Matters. We're sitting here with Ashley Belknap with Engaging Disabilities with the Gospel. Uh, real quick, before we go any further, because I want to hear from Kelsey and Derry. They've got some great questions. I want to continue uh, going down that road. But very quickly, can you just give us the website uh, where our listeners can go to be able to check out some of the many resources we're talking about? Absolutely. It's um, www.engagingdisability.org. And that's Engaging disability, not plural, dot org. Engaging disability. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Well, I'm going to hand it back over to our friends, Kelsey and Derry, who I know are biting at the bit to be able to ask some other questions. So take it away. Well, one of the questions that um, I think came in from Facebook Live, but it was also one that I was thinking of, is what is the best uh, terminology to use in expressing what, what students or really anyone of any age. Um, there's such a broad range of disabilities and there's, I think, a sensitivity to wanting to make sure that we're using the correct terms and not um, causing any more slight. And so what would be some some guidance that you would give people who are wondering what, what terms should we use and what terms should we stay away from? That's great. And I'm gonna take a slight step back of this too to say um, any of your churches that have kids, teens, or adults with disabilities in them already means poof, you have a disability ministry. You know, I think there's this notion like we have to formalize and organize in order to have a disability ministry. You know, what you're doing may not be as much as you want to be doing, but the fact that you have families present means you have a ministry to families touched by disabilities. So I think then at some point along that path, you have to start thinking about organization and volunteers and costs and names, right? So those are kind of the first three biggies. 
Um, I always say people are going to know what you have. Families, if you're thinking outreach, families who are coming to your church for the first time, who are looking to see if you offer something in the area of disability ministry, the first place they're going to check you out is on a website. And so when you're thinking about a name, I want you to think about something that isn't hard to understand or know that that's what it is. Um, a lot of times we get really concerned about being soft and being, we want to be person first. We want to value our people more than the diagnoses. We want to say the right things, but at the same time, we want our families to know, hey, this actually is a disability ministry. Or if you're um, doing kids and just kids and teens, maybe special needs would work for you. I tend to encourage you to at least think down the path of longer than just youth ministry. And so um, the terminology special needs really does at this stage in 2019 kind of cap you off, at least through maybe young adults could get squeezed into that. But adults don't usually think of themselves in terms of special needs anymore. So um, I would think about something that sounds like a disability ministry. If you don't use those two words and you put something in front of it, make sure that you use clear language around that name so that when they look on the website, they don't think that maybe this is a support group or maybe this is for a different fringe people group or something of that nature. Um, so be specific. Don't be, obviously no one wants to be um, crude or do, say the wrong things, but I think care and love and compassion into a name, but that then has disability ministry with it makes it very easy to find. And then I think my other thought would be in terms of like organizing costs and people. So that's usually the next phrase, the next questions that come in the startup. What we encourage is not a separate silo of programs that you have to staff separately and fund stuff separately because those usually are not sustainable over the long term. They will last as long as you have people who are enthusiastic and have a heart for it. But what we want are families enfolded into church exactly where they would have been had disability not impacted their lives. They're going to need some extra supports. So you are going to need some volunteers you do need to know how to recruit them, and you're always going to ask the question about how to train them. And you're in luck because on Thursday, I'm doing just those three questions in our online training, recruiting and training and maintaining volunteers over the long haul. So check us out on our website on Thursday um, around the lunch hour, and we will talk all things that. Um, but in terms of cost, it really doesn't cost anything to take small steps forward. I like to say what we come out of conversations with is something you can do on Sunday. Like we don't even really want to wait three weeks. We want to do small steps that relate to people and make things better. Eventually, you may need to have space allocated or you may need to have a little bit of extra funding to um, get certain needs. Like let's say your church pulls from a school that has kids with dyslexia. You may be wanting to think about how we make some of our discipleship materials so that they can read them and not just so that we're always reading things to our kids with learning disabilities. So some costs, but that always varies based on your people and your needs. Um, so don't let costs throw you. Don't let names throw you. What we're talking about is ministry to people and ministry to kids and youth. And the next step forward is um, often really small, manageable step that you could do this week. Great, thank you. I've got a question on um, the transition to post high school. Just to me, as I'm watching, there's the tricky transition from the children's ministry to the youth ministry that happens and adolescence and everything else that's a part of that. But we've we've been able to, I think, in our youth ministry, come along and champion some of our kids with disabilities to the point that 
it, this is a terrible way to say it, but they're almost like mascots sometimes inside of our ministry. Our mm-hmm. kids just love them and they celebrate their disabilities and they welcome them in. The kids love it so much. And then that post high school time comes and the the rhythms of what youth ministry is is different. And this is a big transition for everybody, but I've seen a real battle. What what are what what are some best practices you've seen on nailing that transition for a, for a person with disabilities into the life after youth group? So I would hands down say this is the hardest transition for families and youth who have disabilities. Um, number one social factor being that their people group usually graduate and move on to college and then from college get married and have kids and things are never the same again for that age group. And so social isolation, depression, the things that young adults typically go through are often heightened um, at that stage for the youth who has a disability. And then the family has also lost their support. So usually these kids have been in school all through, you know, high school, and they may even have a couple extra years added on to the end of being 18. Um, But at some point, school will stop, and job usually may not at times fill that whole gap that school did. And so parents who are supposed to be empty nesting are now full-time caregiving, and they're older, and they're tired, and they've been doing it 24 years. And so what I see is a need to buoy both the youth that's transitioning into adolescence and the family that is now gonna be caring more for that youth who has a disability. So when I look at that transition out, it often involves things like an extra bit of time within youth group so that we can buoy the family first. Or maybe we start having those conversations ahead of time and we feel like the family's gonna do okay, so we start thinking about connecting into college ministry, if there is one, always becomes a really good next step but a lot of our churches don't have college ministries or young adult ministries. And so at that point, the conversation between youth leader and the adult ministries of the church is what I find either makes it or breaks it. You're the bridge. You're the one who's championed up to this point. And so you're the one who now knows the needs along with the parents and can kind of see ahead. Parents are going to go under and not do as much champion because they're trying to fill all of life, the space in all of life. Um, so we're going to start thinking in those late years of high school, how can we start finding adults who will come in and start discipling, befriending, taking them for ice cream, going to the movies, doing life together. But we're asking our adults to come be part of life in a different stage for a particular reason, for the purpose of making this transition happen. So the hardest part are, are tossing our youth into an adult ministry where they know no one. It's a lot easier if they're known than if they're not. That's step one. That relational key is just huge. And it also buoys the sadness and loss of having all your friends move off. Um, Then I think that having a way to serve and contribute becomes really important in the young adult years. So how can we get our youth with disabilities into areas of serving the church and serving alongside our adults as fast as possible and giving them meaningful roles within the church. Um, This is not sweep up the kitchen. This is if we're serving places around our community, they should be going to and building relationships and having those impacts out there that they did in youth group. It will positively impact everybody to have someone with a disability right in their midst. Um, might mean that you have to do a, a buddy scenario to make that work, but it's well worth the effort. So relationships and serving are usually the two keys along with that 
um, youth group leader really championing and building the relationship with the ministries ahead of them to know kind of what we need to adjust and, and share insight on what would work and what wouldn't. That's great. Let me ask you a follow-up. That's really good. Yeah. Uh, as you're, as you're working through that transition and you brought up the parent side of it, yes. um, that it, I hadn't ever thought of that before, how significant that transition and the time that is going to be spent for a parent, how much that increases. I'm curious for youth ministers that are listening to this, uh, a thing that's always in the back of my mind is how do I best partner with parents? Mm-hmm. Could you, could you kind of add on to what, what are some things to keep in mind specifically when it comes to partnering with parents of those with disabilities? Yeah, that's a great question. So the first thing I would would want everybody to know is that the needs of parents who have kids and youth and young adults with disabilities, the parents' needs change more frequently than what you experience with your typically developing crowd. And by that, I mean, um, we call it usually call it a cycle of processing grief. So at key places along the road, it will impact a family that is touched by disability more. So for example, kindergarten, that may be the first place that they realize their, their kid is not going to be in the class with all the other kids. And there's that experience of loss and grief. So we're going to ask ourselves, what are those places, those trigger points along the youth spectrum? And so you think about the rites of passage, um, mm-hmm. moving into middle mm-hmm. school, is a major rite of passage and sometimes that looks different in our kids in public schools and and sometimes in private schools too driver's license is a huge trigger point of you know will they or won't they drive and what does that do to the uber service mom and dad have to do to be able to maintain a lifestyle for their kids a social aspect for their kids Um, graduation and usually in that like ninth to 12th grade years, those parents are really processing hard. What are we going to do? Like, we've got to get our ducks in a row. What are we going to do after he turns 18 or she turns 18 or we are out of um, options? So maybe they start exploring college and they, they get discouraged because there are things, but there's not enough support or it's just not a right fit or they just don't quite have life skills. So then they start looking at life skill training, but they get discouraged because there's a long way to go and it seems like time is flying. And so I think just being aware of what the parents are processing behind the scenes to try to stay ahead of where their kids are and to try to provide what we often think about are just the normal parts of growing up. They're just so much harder to navigate for parents. So when you're building relationships with your parents, I would always emphasize the same things that y'all emphasize, which is building their trust, gaining, gaining a friend and a partner means that they can trust that you're going to do good for them and with them and not use their story in ways they don't want it used or highlight their weaknesses when they don't want them highlighted. Some of your parents are going to want to share a lot and be okay and open and be very used in your churches by their children's disabilities. Some of your parents are going to be very protective and not want to share as much. And I think some of those parents might often feel guilty or pressure that they're not doing it right or well enough or not like the other people they see because they're being more private. Parents need to have the space to process and and live life with their kids the way that they want to live it. There's no right or wrong here in how much you share or don't share. It depends on a lot of factors. So there's not a blanket answer to that. And so I would encourage youth leaders to really respect where parents are. Their process and processing of the disability changes a lot as those trigger points come. And then 
um, just their the way that their personalities are wired and the way that they're protecting their home or sharing their story or being used or you know all of those things are going to be different from one family to the next. So grant space, grant grace, make it okay to be you. And I think last thought here is if I could say anything that any family with disability really wants, and that's they just want to be themselves. They don't want to have to be who they're not in order to be loved and accepted. And the question that they come with almost all the time is, are we going to be too much for this church, for this youth group, for this pastor, for this transition? You know, are our needs so much that they're not going to be able to handle it? So you have that strategic opportunity to create the space so that they can breathe and just be themselves and process on a, in a natural way. I, You know, as you're talking, uh, these are great questions. I was thinking back about uh, 30 years ago we had – uh, a deaf child in our youth group, and I had numerous students, uh, and when I say numerous, four to five, which was pretty amazing to me, who were his peers who unprompted went and started to learn sign language. And they became the go. I mean, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then we had a gal in our youth group who was uh, had Down syndrome. And uh, we were getting, I was getting ready, this is a middle school ministry, and I was getting ready to give the uh, biannual sex talk to the middle to the middle school kids. So communication, I'm thinking, communicate with the parents. You know, I don't want to put them in an awkward spot. Uh, this was really funny. I went to the mom, and I said, "Listen, you know, I named a girl. I know she's going to be there. This is exactly what I'm going to talk about when I finish giving this big explanation." Mom just started laughing, and she looked at me and she said, "I'm not worried about this. She knows all that." And, and I just thought she knew more than all the other kids. And then it came time for the talk. And when I gave the talk, I'll bet I was, you know, this is the one where you talk 45 minutes to an hour and kids are just on the edge of their seat. They're all really engaged. Within, it was less than five minutes, I hear snoring from the back of the room. It was her. And I just thought, this is beautiful. This is just a great, you know, example of me getting it all wrong. But I think that communication piece is really, really, yeah, that's really huge. So, Ashley, I I do have one question with regards to um, the follow-up from something that Derry was asking, but um, that transition. Uh, Right. Because there are going to be some, uh, many, that – that aren't actually staying within the church community that they've grown up in. They actually are going on to college. Um, mm-hmm. are, are Is yours a resource that they could turn to, to say, hey, um, we're in this city, they're going to this city for college? Uh, I would like to be able to yes. point to. Is, is yours a ministry that they could utilize to be able to uh, tag team, handoff, point to uh, as they're transitioning from one one church to the next or one city to the next? Absolutely. And I will say this is challenging for a couple of reasons for everybody. Number one is, again, how churches let you know what they have. If it's not on the website, a lot of times you don't know if you're showing up in a new season of life and trying to seek out resources. So my plug here again for churches that the way we know what you offer and the way we connect you to kids with disabilities who are going to college is by you letting us know and having things visible on your site and not being afraid of embracing that. Um, But yes, we do our very best to connect with the churches that we know in the area. And if we don't know of churches that can really meet those needs, we know people in those areas. And we seek to talk to those people and get some 
ears on the ground of which churches would be a good starting place. And then we can start where they are. Again, it's not about having something that's already set in order to you know meet needs and unfold. It's really being willing to open your door and walk with families in unique situations. And so when I can come in and say to a church who doesn't have something going, we have this college kid and you're going to love her. And these are the things that you need to know. We really want this to work. She really needs you. Very few are going to say no. Um, it just, again, is that communication piece to help pave the way. Um, can't overestimate how important that is. So, yes, we're delighted to help with all of that. Great. Great. Any other questions? Derry, Kelsey, this is so good. I know we want to honor everybody's time. Any, any last questions? No. No? Good. We're good. Yeah, I, you know, here's the thing. You, you've you done such a good job, Ashley, that all the questions will come up in a while. Our heads are spinning from all the information you've given us. And I know people are commenting on Facebook Live. Um, I know our listeners are listening to a pre-recorded podcast. But our Facebook Live folks are saying things like, this is fantastic content. And uh, seriously, so good. They're responding to each other. So we really appreciate what you do. As we bring this to a close, tell us about uh, your trainings and the resources that are online. And just keep in mind, we are uh, recording here for release in, in a couple of days. So I know that the Thursday, we'll see if we can, yeah, give us dates for things. And, and, and folks, of course, can go and, and find, you know, your other resources online on the website. So. Yes. So you can access our complete list of online trainings. They happen every other week right now. So um, there is one coming up this Thursday, February 7th, which may be after the release of this. And that's on recruiting, maintaining, and training volunteers. If you happen to miss it, feel free to shoot us an email and we can either offer a second session. We may even be able to get you a recording of that. Um, and then from there, through the spring, we offer various topics, one of which is going to be transitioning from youth group into into the adult young adult ministries of the church. And that one comes in April. But our whole list, which of course is not in front of me at the moment, our whole list is on our website. Um, we're just about ready to add May, but they will be every other week through the whole year. Um, I will say that when we get an interest, every 10 people who are interested in the starting up a disability ministry in your church context is kind of the foundational one that I do to make sense of all this. Where do I start? How do I know the next step? How do I organize this in an organic way that works for us in our church context? I will offer that one. Every time we have 10 people interested, we'll offer it. Um, so it gets offered regularly. So if we have listeners who really want to know how to get started where they are, um, all you have to do is send us an email, and we will make that happen for you. And I'm happy to give my email here. It's abelknapp at pcanet.org. Um, any of those emails, we will get to the right place. That's abelknapp at pcanet.org. Good. Great. And and I know there's other resources you point to, printed resources and things like that online. So, And do you yeah. do will you folks come and do seminars at churches then if folks— we do, for sure. Just got back from Birmingham a couple weeks ago. Um, we, I end up going all over in the course of a year, and I have um, a staff of, there's four of us, so all four of us can go in different places and accomplish different things, so we are more than happy to entertain any invitations and be strategic about that. Um, I also meet with churches, just like I'm sure our podcast listeners can't see that we all are seeing each other on GoToMeeting. We use a Zoom platform, so you don't have to leave your home or your church. And we can all hop on here and we can have a planning meeting just for you. 
Um, and a lot of times you have to think about your parents and families affected by disabilities aren't as mobile. So our online platforms really are a good way for us to all connect and to be in the same room without really having that cup of coffee together. But it's as close as we can get. So um, keep that in mind as you're thinking through what your church needs. Um, we are soon to open a store on our website, so check back. We will have adapted Christian education materials that are going to help you teach theology in broken down ways. So we are really on the cusp of developing a lot that's coming your way. Um, but anything that we can do in between, we are happy to entertain. This really is an individual ministry that, you know, one family at a time makes significant difference. No one family is too few for us to want to help. So um, I just encourage you to reach out. And it's engaging disability with the gospel. For those who are listening, and maybe you're listening through a, a platform that's not the player on our website, cpyu.org, where we uh, is the home for our podcast, uh, come on over to cpyu.org, and you can check out under the player. Even if you don't listen on the player, you'll see Chris Wagner will put links to everything that's been mentioned here, Ashley's email address. Boy, you'll be getting millions of emails, Ashley. Uh, Ashley's we can email funnel address. them off. I yeah, may not personally be able to answer them, but I can funnel them to the right place. Yeah, the website, uh, the website for the ministry will be on there, as well as any other resources that have been mentioned. So, uh, as and I'm going to tell you what else we're going to do. We're going to include links for uh, Kelsey's camp, and we're going to include links for Derry's podcast. And just as you know, as we say goodbye to them, I'm going to ask Kelsey, what's shaping up? What's what's the big news at Mount Hermon this summer? Anything? Super exciting, new. Yeah, what's crazy is um, Ponderosa Lodge, it's its 50th anniversary. And so Ponderosa Lodge is a junior high, high school site, um, has a lot of great history. Billy Graham came and like prayed for the land before it was um, built, before we broke ground on it. And it's experiencing its 50th anniversary this summer. So um, we're looking forward to kind of remembering the last 50 years of ministry at that specific site for students um, because they recognize that they needed a place for students to be able to come away and to um, experience camp. And so we'll be celebrating that, but then also looking ahead to um, the future and what God is doing. And um, our theme for this summer, we're excited. It's about God is with us always. And so we're doing a lot of our theme development right now um, for students who are facing a lot of fear in life and being able to recognize that they don't need to live into that fear because they know that God is with them always. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we hope yeah. you, you guys have a great summer. And Derry, <laughs> yeah. what, what, who do you have on deck on your podcast? Anything exciting coming up? I'm sure it's all exciting, but... It's all yeah. so exciting. Well, actually, uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing... I got several solo shows where I'm just walking through some key stuff. Uh, the one that's going to be coming up is How Do I Navigate When I'm No Longer Cool? I've seen that be a big drop-off point for people yeah. in ministry when you're not where you're not the cool hip young leader anymore and and yeah. how do I how do I move forward in that and I've got a lot of experience in that yeah. uh, and then um and then we're going to walk through what it looks like to form longer range goals that help you get entrenched where it's not I'm not going to do this in the next month but this is going to take me two or three years uh, to see this unfold in the ministry uh, so those are two of the episodes that are coming up really soon oh that's awesome that first one there keep it archived because I know I'll have to tap into that in about 20 years when it's relevant yeah. for me. So, right, right. Um, yeah. Just don't say anything else, Derry. I, I, my, my, I I'm, always, I'm always so nervous. Well, number one, when I have Jason, you know, you never know what's going to happen. But when I'm with my youth ministry buddies, now that I'm getting up there in age, you know, and I used to be like the youngest guy in the room, 
Now I'm just nervous about what's going to happen. So thanks for that. It's fun. It's Everybody fun loves stuff. Grandpa Walt. Yeah, there you go. See, that's what. <laughs> that's exactly what we were. Yeah, I won't even go into any more of that. It's just, it's just sad. So thank you, um, Jason. Any final words? No. Okay. Ashley, <laughs> boy, that was an answer to prayer. Ashley, thank you. Thank you so Thanks much so for much. joining us. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks. All right, everybody, just uh, join us again. We'll be back up in a couple of weeks. If you're not already a part of it, uh, come over to Facebook and join our CPYU Reading and Discussion Group. We started that back at the beginning of the year. We've got almost 360 people in there right now who are reading during January and February. Nancy Piercy's wonderful book, Love Thy Body, will start another book in March. We'll be announcing that soon, so join that. Follow us on Twitter uh, or check out our CPYU Facebook page, community page. You can uh, track with us there. So thank you, everybody. Until the next time, uh, we hope you uh, just have a, a great few weeks, and we hope that you find this particular episode of Youth Culture Matters to be especially beneficial as you work to uh, minister to those in your local body who are struggling with disabilities. So thank you. Blessings. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.